بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Continuing with our study of Arba'in al-Nawawi with the explanation of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad al-Badr. In our last session we stopped at hadith number 18. The hadith within which the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said Ittaqillaha haythu ma kunt Have taqwa of Allah wherever you are Wa atbi'i sayyi'ata al-hasanata tamhuha and follow up an evil deed with a good deed, it shall wipe it away. And interact with people with good manners. So we said that this hadith, its explanation is divided into five parts, five short parts. We've covered two of the parts. So today we'll cover part three, part four and part five. So this hadith, it is a hadith that has within it the usul of mu'amala, the foundations of interacting, how to interact. And whoever you interact with, the one that you will interact with will be one of three. Your interactions will either be with number one Allah number two other people and number three yourself this hadith here has gathered together the foundations as to how to interact with all three number one interaction with Allah is based upon taqwa, is based upon piety, is based upon fear of him. Number two, as far as your interaction with, your, with yourself is concerned, your dealing with yourself, your treatment of yourself, then the Messenger والسلام, established for us the qa'idah, the principle concerning that. He said, وَأَتْبِعِ السَّيِّئَةَ الْحَسَنَةَ Follow up an evil deed with a good deed. It will wipe it away. All of the children of Adam sin. Nobody is free from sins. But the best of sinners are those who repent. Knowing this, in fact, gives a person great hope. Unlike certain other people that might be affiliated with certain other religious groups, with other belief systems, they might have part and parcel of their belief systems to be that once you sin against the Lord there is no forgiveness for you they might have been brought up with that type of belief and so later on when he grows up when she grows up she leaves her religion he leaves her religion he might have grown up um, upon a certain religion on a certain belief system which taught that once you sin against your Lord that's it you're damned forever in fact, I remember on an occasion, the hadith of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, Kullu bani Adam khatta, all of the children of Adam are 
make mistakes, they sin. And the best of sinners are those who repent. On an occasion when speaking to a non-Muslim, when this hadith was mentioned to him, initially the discussion was, um, um, it, it didn't seem as though he was that interested, if you like, or that interested in Islam, or the, the arguments weren't really winning him over. When this hadith was mentioned to this non-Muslim, this hadith about the best of sinners are those who repent, and likewise, um, that if all of humankind were sinners, if all of humankind, uh, sorry, uh, did not make sin, did not sin, then what? Then what, what would Allah do? If all of humankind did not sin, what would Allah do? He would replace them with another group of people that sin. Why? So that they can then have the chance of turning to Allah in repentance and thus Allah shall forgive them. Why? Because Allah loves to forgive. Not only does He forgive, but the action of forgiving, Him forgiving, He loves us subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when this was mentioned to this non-Muslim, his reaction, if I was to imitate it, it was like this. Whoa! This was his reaction. This hadith was read to him, and this, uh, uh, this uh, fact that is part of Islamic creed was mentioned to him. When I said that to him, his reaction was like that. Whoa! And he didn't just say it once. He kept on saying it. Whoa! Whoa! And then he took the translation of the Quran and literature. He said, I'm definitely going to read this. And me, when I do something, I do it full steam ahead. So uh, that, yani, the point being is that this gives you hope. You commit an evil deed, follow it up with a good deed. What's going to happen? It will wipe it away. The angels that are written down, the sin against you. You make tawbah because the sins, they can be wiped away by good deeds, by tawbah and nusuha, specific repentance that you make for that, de for that evil deed. And likewise by masaib, calamities, calamities in life. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned that the dunya this dunya that we're in, it has three rivers. It has three rivers. Whoever gets washed and cleansed through these rivers, then he will be uh, successful, or, or as Ibn Qayyim he said. But the one who doesn't, then he will be cleansed by the cleansing in the afterlife, meaning the punishment of Allah. What are those three rivers? Good deeds, actual specific sincere repentance, and calamities in life. So the point being that among those three are good deeds. And those good deeds, they wipe your sins away. And that gives a person a lot of hope. Perhaps if a person didn't know this, he'd become despondent and then he'd become much more of a sinful person. Much more sinful than he would have been if he had known this particular principle. There's the ayah in the book of Allah 
innal hasanat yudhibna sayyiat indeed hasanat good deeds they wipe away they do away with evil deeds why was this ayah revealed does anybody know why was this ayah revealed indeed good deeds they do away with evil deeds People who prayed Salat too late, too late? I don't know. Allah Alam. Salat al-Layl. Allah Alam. Allah Alam. Rubbama. Yes. Yes. That was revealed. So from that which has been mentioned in the books of Tafsir, maybe what you mentioned as well, but from that which has been mentioned in the books of Tafsir, is that, uh, and also in the books of Hadith, I believe in Sahih Muslim, that there was a man, he kissed a woman that he shouldn't have kissed, someone that wasn't lawful for him to kiss. Then he came to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, and he was remorseful. So he, he said to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, that I have done such and such. And then this ayah was revealed. Innal hasanat Indeed, evil de good deeds, they do away with evil deeds. So then the man, he said to the messenger, والسلام, Is this only for me? This ayah, it's specific for me. It's just for me. This uh, 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 rule, it applies only for me. That the good deeds, they wipe away the evil deeds. Meaning if I do good deeds, it will wipe away the sin that I committed of kissing the woman that I shouldn't have kissed. The messenger said, no, rather it is general for the whole of the ummah. So it applies for everybody. You commit a sin, follow it up with a good deed, it shall wipe it away. So that is part three, part three to Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Sharh. Part four, وَخَالِقِ nas bi khuluqin hasan. Treat others with good manners. Treat others with good manners. So, as I said before, this hadith, it contains three principles from the principles of interaction. The first is your interaction with Allah, that it should be based upon taqwa. Second is your interaction with your own self, in that you should follow up your evil deeds with good deeds. We all sin, we all make mistakes, but follow them up with good deeds. It shall wipe them away. The third is in terms of people, besides yourself. How to interact with them? Interact with them bi khuluqin hasan. Interact with them with good manners. Shaykh Abdul Muhsin uh, Al Abad he says concerning this that a person he deals with others as he wants to be treated himself. We've mentioned this before. That a person he treats others as and how he wants to be treated. Based upon the hadith, none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. And likewise the hadith, whoever wants to be saved from the fire of hell, entered into paradise, then let death reach him while he believes in Allah on the last day and let him treat people or let him approach people as and how he would like to be treated, as and how he would like to be, and to be approached. That's the qa'idah as to how you should deal with people. That is the principle as how you should interact with other people. 
Treat them as and, how, as and how you want to be treated. If it is the case that you don't like to be deceived, if it's the case that you don't like to be tricked, if it's the case that you don't like to be made a fool of, then don't do that to others. You know that you are one step ahead of other people in certain things. Don't use that ability, that intelligence, that whatever you may have, that quick sharpness that you may have, don't use that against other people, making a fool out of them. Rather, treat them as and how you would like to be treated. As they say, empathize. Put yourself in that person's shoes and think, if I was in his shoes, how would I like to be treated, or how would it have been best for me to have been treated in that situation? Not necessarily how a person would like to be treated based upon his desires. Treat your child as and how you would like to be treated. Put yourself in the shoes of your child. This does not mean that now you start giving your child sweets upon sweets and chocolates upon chocolates and letting them stay away past midnight and not discipline them at all. This is not what it means, that what the person wants in terms of his desires, just give him that, no. Yeah, he give him what is good for him, give him what is beneficial for him, and so on and so forth. So therefore, discipline your child, because you would want to have been disciplined with good discipline when you were a child. Don't give your child sweets upon sweets and chocolates upon chocolates, otherwise he's going to have rotten teeth and he's going to have to have fillings done like I did the other day. The child, don't let him, let him stay up all night, past midnight, because that's not good for his health. So it doesn't mean that you need to give to the child, give to the husband, give to the wife, give to the employer, whatever he desires, based upon his desires. No, give to him, approach him, treat him, treat her in terms of what is good for him and best for him, what you genuinely believe is good and best for him. So that is the qa'idah. In terms of interacting with other people, uh, Imam Ibn Rajab al Hanbali, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned that some of the ulama they have mentioned about husnul khuluq, good manners. He said that some of the Ahlul Ilm, some of the scholars, they have mentioned that husnul khuluq, good manners, as far as your interaction with people uh, is concerned, is Controlling your anger for the sake of Allah. Displaying a cheerful, cheerful countenance, a cheerful uh, face. Except for the innovator and the open evildoer. Except for the mubtadi' and the fajr. Likewise, to forgive those who make mistakes those who make mistakes to forgive them to pardon them except if it's the case that he needs to be disciplined if it's the case that he needs to be disciplined or if it's the case that the government needs to establish a certain penalty against that culprit likewise Preventing harm, preventing harm, uh, preventing harm to be, re uh, pre preventing harm from reaching a Muslim or 
a non-Muslim that is living in a Muslim country, a non-Muslim that is living in a Muslim country is legally living there as a as a as a mu'ahad, as somebody that has an agreement with that country, that you should not should not let harm reach them except if it is in order to enjoin any uh, enjoin the good and forbidden evil, forbidden evil, to change a certain evil. And likewise, if it is the case that a madhlama, a transgression that has been made against a transgressed person, you have to return back the right of the transgressed person back to him that may result in the transgressor being harmed. However, you have to return the right back to the transgressed, back to the oppressed individual. As a result of which the transgressor may be harmed, but in that situation, the etiquette of keeping harm away from people doesn't apply. The etiquette of keeping harm away from people, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, will not apply in exceptional circumstances such as when evil needs to be forbidden and when the right of the oppressed needs to be returned back to him. So that is some kalam that Ahlul Ilm have mentioned concerning essentially the manifestation, the physical manifestation of good manners. Having a cheerful face towards others, restraining your anger, being forgiving and repelling harm from reaching people. Can anybody remember the, the usul of akhlaq, the, the foundations of akhlaq? There are four foundations to be good, to be a good, well-mannered person. If it's the case that you have these four usul of good manners embodied within you, then they will give rise to all of these other beautiful characteristics, cheerful face and all these things. But what are the four usul, the four foundations of good manners that need to be embedded, embedded within you? After that, you'll become a beautiful person as far as your character is concerned. And each one of those four usul are found in a separate hadith. Sheikh Ali. Yeah, just the usul. Okay, so number one, love, uh, the hadith was, uh, none of you truly believes until he loves his brother what he loves for himself. So from that, the scholars, they derive the principle of salamat al-sadr. Having a clean chest, a clean heart towards others. Clean chest, free of hatred, free of suspicion, free of jealousy, free of envy, and so on and so forth. Having a nice, clean heart towards others. So that's one, having a clean heart. Sorry? That, so, what we're trying to say here is that good character, good character is based upon four principles. Okay? So, good character is the overall general thing. But that, 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 that overall general thing is built upon four specific things. If you have those four specific things, then you'll become a very, very nice, you know, well-mannered person with beautiful character. One of them is having a clean chest towards others, clean heart towards others. Number two, that, that jealousy enters into it. Yes. Controlling your impulses. Not being driven by your impulses. Not being driven by your impulses. Someone gets you angry, 
Don't, don't allow that emotion to overcome you now and overwhelm you. So we have two so far. Number one is having a clean chest. Number two, not being led by your impulses. Number three. Yes? What's the shahid? The shahid in the hadith. وَمَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ فَلْيَسْمُتْ So the third one is protecting your tongue. Protecting your tongue. Fourth one. Sorry? Don't yourself with good character. I think you're... Uh, I think you're, 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 you're conflating it between our study of the hadith. لا تغضب Forgiving people, that enters into the first one. Sorry? No? Something else. Leaving something. Leaving what? من حسني من حسني إسلام المرئي ترك ما لا يعنيه from the perfection of a person's Islam is to leave what, it, what doesn't concern him. Leaving off that which doesn't concern you. These are the four usul of good manners, good character, good etiquettes. If these four are found within you, embedded within you, then you'll become a beautiful, well-mannered person. Who can mention those four again? Who can mention those four again? Clean heart. Number one, clean heart. Anything else? Huh? Not, number two, not being driven by your impulses. Number three, protecting your tongue. Number four, leaving that which doesn't concern you. Okay? So that, that they are the usul of mother, of good akhlaq, of good akhlaq. Is it worth it? Is it worth having good manners because obviously it takes effort it's not easy it's not easy to control your anger when somebody is pushing you to your limits very very difficult uh, if it's the culture and the custom that a person has been raised in and the environment that he's raised in is that is that he's um, how can you say always um, being a being a, a nosy poker for lack of better terms right being a nosy poker is something that you're used to. For example, a person's used to, it's going to be difficult for him to get rid of that bad habit. It's going to be difficult if you've, if you, if you've for years upon years, you're just a nosy poker. Now you start practicing and you come across this hadith. It's going to be difficult for you to get rid of that habit of being a bit of a nosy poker. So it's difficult. These things are difficult. It takes a lot of training and disciplining and, and so on and so forth. If it's the case that you're a person that um, if someone does a tiny bit of harm to you, you have to get revenge because you were brought up in a rough environment. So your parents said, if anyone does anything to you, make sure you get your own back on them. You were brought up perhaps in a racist environment. So you were just used to, as a child, always putting people in their place, not letting anybody push you over and what have you. Now you come across this hadith about having a clean chest. So you start practicing, and now amongst your companions, your, your friends, your practicing friends, your brothers, your sisters, one brother one day, he says something that really gets to you. Now your habit is what? To put that person in his place there and then. 
But based upon this hadith, really and truly, at this first instance, it's best to just bite your tongue and not say anything. It's going to be difficult for you to do this initially. You have to get yourself used to it. But the thing that I'm saying uh, is that, is it worth it? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the effort of getting yourself used to controlling your tongue? Is it worth getting yourself used to uh, 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 controlling your anger? Is it worth getting used to just minding your own business? Is it worth it? Yes, it is. Very much so. Why do we say this? Because of the ahadith that have come from the Messenger والسلام, that speak about the virtue of good manners. And among them is the following narration. A narration that has been recorded by Imam al-Bukhari in his Al-Adab al-Mufrad in a narration declared Sahih by Imam al-Albani. So the Messenger والسلام, he said أُخْبِرُكُمْ بِأَحَبِّكُمْ إِلَيَّ وَأَقْرَبِكُمْ مِنِّي مَجْلِسًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Shall I tell you of the one that is going to be the most beloved to me? Or shall I tell you of the one that is the most beloved to me and shall be the closest to me as far as seating is concerned? physical seating is concerned on Yawm Al-Qiyamah again the Prophet والسلام, when he's speaking to his companions he says shall I tell you which one of you is most beloved to me and which one of you shall be seated closest to me on Yawm Al-Qiyamah so imagine now you're sitting there and the messenger والسلام, is saying this to you what more do you want in terms of an achievement in life to be someone that is beloved to the Messenger for indeed if the Messenger loves a believer then no doubt Allah loves that believer Yawm Al-Qiyamah is a day of terror, of horror but for, but for a person to be sitting close to the Messenger that is enough for you to know that you're going to be saved from that horror and that terror so it's a fantastic incentive here. So the Messenger alayhi salatu he says this, he, he poses this question, but everybody's silent. Everybody's silent. So the Prophet alayhi salatu repeated this question twice or three times. Shall I tell you who is going to be, who is the most beloved to me and closest to me in terms of seating on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? Everybody's quiet. He repeats it again. So then the companions, they say, Naam Ya Rasulullah. Yes, O Messenger of Allah. Yes. Meaning, yes, tell us. Tell us who is the most beloved to you. And who is the one that is going to be seated close to you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. We want to know. So then the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Ahsanukum khuluqa. The ones that have the best manners among you. The ones that have best manners among you sometimes people they look down upon good manners sometimes even people they consider good manners to be a sign of weakness no it's a sign of strength that you've disciplined yourself to be characterized with those four those four characteristics that we mentioned earlier so that there is enough of an incentive tamam so that is the matter related to mother husnul khuluq
to good manners. And that is part four of the explanation of this hadith. Part number five is a brief summary of the benefits of the benefits that are contained in this hadith. So Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he mentions five points, five summarized points from this hadith. Number one. That the Messenger والسلام, he would offer complete and perfect advice to his Ummah. The Messenger والسلام, was someone that would offer perfect and complete advice to his Ummah. And among that advice are these three points, these three comprehensive points uh, that have been mentioned in this hadith about fearing Allah, number one. Following your deeds, your evil deeds with good deeds, number two. And treating other people with good manners, that's number three. Number two. In this hadith is a command to have taqwa of Allah in all states, in all conditions. And in all places and in all times. Regardless of where you are and when it is, have taqwa of Allah. Wherever you are and whatever time you're in. Have taqwa of Allah. Number three. This hadith, in it there is an encouragement to follow up your evil deeds with good deeds. Number three. In this hadith is an encouragement to follow up your evil deeds with good deeds. Number four. In this hadith we find that good deeds wipe away evil deeds. Good deeds wipe away evil deeds. And number five in this hadith is an encouragement to interact with other people with good manners. In this hadith is an encouragement to interact with other people with good manners. Tamam. Anything need repeating? Second one. Second one is the command of taqwa of Allah in all states and conditions and in all places and in all times. All states, all places and all times. Anything else? Tamam. So we'll move on to al-hadith al-tasi'a ashar. Number one. What's number one? Prophet ﷺ would give complete and perfect advice to his ummah. And among that advice that he would give were these three principles that are mentioned in this hadith. Right, let's move on to hadith number 19. Um, I'll read the hadith and then we'll have a, a look at point number one and point number two because they're very, very short. And then we'll go over the rest of the explanation next week, insha uh, next lesson, inshallah. So this is the hadith of Abu Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala, anhuma, the cousin of the Messenger, alayhi salatu salam, who said, Kuntu khalfa al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam yawman. One day I was sitting behind the Messenger, alayhi salatu salam, where? What does he mean sitting behind him? On a riding beast. He 
said, one day I was sitting behind the Messenger meaning on a riding beast. So the Prophet, he said to me, Oh young man, indeed I'm going to teach you some words. Be mindful of Allah and Allah he shall safeguard you. Literally, literally, make hiv of Allah. That's what it says, literally, make hiv of Allah. Hiv, yani to, it can mean to memorize, it can mean to safeguard, it can mean to protect, it can mean to remember, and so on and so forth. What this actually means, we'll have a look at insha'Allah ta'ala in the explanation. But the translation of the hadith, be mindful of Allah, and Allah he shall safeguard you. Ihfadillah, tajidhu tujahak. Be mindful of Allah, and you'll find him in front of you. Ida sa'alta fas'alillah. If you ask, then ask Allah. Wa ida sta'anta fasta'in billah. And if you seek help, then seek help from Allah. وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْأُمَّةَ لَوْ اجْتَمَعَتْ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ You should know that if the whole of the nation was to gather together in order to benefit you with something, they will not be able to benefit you except with something that Allah had already written for you. وَإِنِ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ And if they were to gather together in order to harm you with something, they'll be unable to harm you except with something, something that Allah had already written against you. رُفِعَتِ الْأَقْلَامُ وَجَفَّتِ الصُّحُفِ The pens have been lifted, and the scrolls have dried. This is a narration that has been recorded in the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi. In another narration that has been recorded in other than the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi, the Messenger said, Again, be mindful of Allah and you'll find Him in front of you. تعرف إلى الله في الرخاء يعرفك في الشدة Come to know Allah, acquaint yourself with Allah in rakha, in times of ease. Allah will come to know you in difficulty. You should know that whatever has skipped you, whatever has passed you by, was never going to reach you. And whatever has reached you, whatever has come to you, whatever has afflicted you, was never going to skip you, was never going to pass you by. And you should know that victory, it comes with patience. And that removal from difficulty or that uh, a way out a way out from adversity, 
a way out comes with tragedy and comes with uh, uh, tragedy and, and, and uh, uh, disaster and calamity. A way out from calamity is only coupled with calamity. And that with difficulty there comes ease. So this is the meaning of the hadith in the English language. Now the explanation to this is divided into eight, uh, nine parts. Uh, sorry, eight parts. We'll have a look at part one and perhaps part two. So in this hadith, Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he says to his young cousin, Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, who was riding behind him. The fact that Ibn Abbas was sitting behind him on the riding beast, what does this show about the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam? Sorry? Good mannered, humble, Ahsan. This shows the humility, the tawabur, the humility, the humbleness of the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. Like a king wouldn't usually do this. Can you imagine a king or a queen of a certain country riding on a horse and then his cousin, his little boy cousin is sitting on the back. It's not really going to happen. The Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam riding on a horse, uh, riding on a riding beast, behind him is a little boy. Allowing him to ride behind him on a little boy. This shows the, the, tawa, the tawabur, the humility of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Likewise, when the Prophet والسلام, he said, Ya Ghulam, look at the, just before we get into the actual meat of the topic, if you like, just these initial introductory matters here. So many fawaid, so many benefits. This is an amazing hadith. Ya Ghulam, oh young boy, when some young child hears, that an adult is addressing him in this respectful way. What's it going to do? It's going to make the child inclined towards hearing whatever you have to say. The child is going to have some respect for you. That's important. If you try to teach a child and he has no respect for you, it's going to be difficult. Just because, a he, just because he's a child doesn't mean that he's not watching you and observant of you. And he doesn't have a... Tamiz, he doesn't have distinction, he can see things clearly. But when you say to a child, Ya Ghulam, oh child, oh young man, he's going to think, this person here, my father here, my uncle here, my teacher here, my big brother here, ah, he's treating you with respect. So this is going to draw him towards you. He's going to gravitate more so now towards you than if you were to have said to him, hey, listen, I've got something to say to you. Listen, oi, listen here, listen carefully. I've got something to say to you. Are you paying attention? He's not really going to pay much attention. Or he might pay attention, but he's not going to retain what he heard. He's not going to retain the information as well. Why? Because right now all you've done is made him tense up unnecessarily. He's not done anything wrong. You speak to a child like that, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You ready? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? If you speak to him in this harsh manner, the child is not going to benefit as much as he would benefit if you were to say to him, Oh young boy, oh my son, oh my nephew, oh and so on and so forth. So this is something that we learn from the best educator. The best educator and cultivator, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Likewise, the Prophet والسلام, he said, Inni u'allimuka kalimat. Indeed, I am now about to teach you some kalimat, some yani, words, literally words, but yani, I'm going to teach you some sentences. I'm going to teach you some phrases. I'm going to teach you some things now. So now th this helps the learner. This helps the learner knowing that there are pieces of information that are, that are about to come. There are a number of sentences that are about to be mentioned. So now his concentration levels will have increased. His concentration levels will now increase and he knows that he needs to focus now. So let me just stop thinking about everything else. Let me stop paying attention to anything and everything else and just concentrate for a few moments on the information that is about to be relayed to me because I know that there are going to be a number of sentences. This is the hikmah, the wisdom in the words of the Messenger. Indeed, I'm about to teach you some, some words. What were those words? The first of them were, uh, the first of those words were, Ihfadh literally means protect. The messenger is saying, Ihfadh Allah. Ihfadh literally means protect, remember, memorize, uh, uh, um, safeguard, um, and so on and so forth. That, that type of meaning. But what does this mean? What does this mean? When the messenger is saying, Ihfadh Allah, then Allah will make hifz of you. What does this mean? Meaning, ihfaz, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says in part number one, ihfaz hudud Allah. Protect, safeguard the boundaries of Allah. And then Allah, he shall protect you in your worldly matters and your Religious matters, your dini matters. If you protect Allah's boundaries, then Allah will protect you. In this life and in the afterlife. In your worldly affairs and your religious affairs. Jaza and wifaqa. As an, an equivalent reward. Because as the principle goes, al-jaza'u min jinsil amal. The reward is based upon the action. If you do something that is good, you'll get a good reward uh, uh, as a result of it. If you do something bad, then expect that your recompense, your reward shall be bad. So therefore, if you protect the boundaries of Allah, then Allah will protect you, meaning Allah will protect you in your deen and your dunya matters, in your religious and your worldly matters. How do you protect the boundaries of Allah? What does it mean to protect the boundaries of Allah? Meaning, you keep away from the haram and you fulfill the wajibat in accordance to the sunnah of the Messenger not in accordance to bid'ah. This is what it means. Allah has set boundaries as far as those things that you can see are concerned. So do not let your eyes see anything that go beyond those boundaries. Allah has set boundaries as far as those things that your ear can hear are concerned. So do not let the faculty of hearing go beyond those boundaries. Allah has set boundaries as far as what your tongue can say is concerned. 
Therefore, do not let your tongue go beyond that boundary that Allah has set. If you do that, then rest assured that Allah is going to protect you. Allah is going to safeguard you without you even realizing. Allah shall protect you. The protection is twofold. Protection in your dini affairs, your religious affairs, affairs related to your afterlife. And secondly, affairs related to your mother, your dunyawi matters. Affairs as far as your afterlife is concerned, if it's the case that you protect the boundaries of Allah, then yes, good deeds give rise to other good deeds. If it is the case that you, you approach Allah walking, Allah will come to you running. If you approach Allah by a handspan, Allah will approach you by a... If you approach Allah by a handspan, how close will Allah approach you? An arm's, an arm's length and so on and so forth. If you make one small step to Allah, Allah will make many steps to you. Allah will protect you in your religious affairs. Allah will increase you in your deen. In the afterlife, in the afterlife, for the one who makes hiv, protects the boundaries of Allah, Allah will give him his reward. هذا ما توعدون Allah says in Surah Qaf هذا ما توعدون when everything is done and dusted with يوم القيامة you have now finished from it the reward now awaits you the accounting has been finished passing over the bridge of the fire of hell has finished passing past the Qampara has finished now you're reaching the gates of paradise. Now you enter into paradise. Udukhuluha bi salam. Udukhuluha bi salam. Enter into paradise with happiness, with a safety and salam, with peace. For whom? Hadha ma tu'adun. Once you enter into paradise, it is said to you. Hadha ma tu'adun. This here is what you were promised. Do you remember before in the dunya, paradise, you used to hear about it. Do you remember before when you used to live in the world, before you died, you used to hear about paradise, you used to read about paradise. Do you remember before when you were alive, before you died, you used to read salah, and in salah, you would recite ayat about paradise. Do you remember when you were a young child, and your mother, she used to tell you about Jannah. Do you remember as a young man, your father used to tell you about Jannah. Do you remember in the masjid, they used to talk about Jannah. Do you remember that time? And they used to promise you. In the Quran, you used to read that you are promised paradise. This is what you were promised. But for whom? For every awab. For every penitent person, every person that makes tawbah, hafiz, and he's hafiz, he makes hiv, he makes hiv, this thing that has been mentioned in this hadith here, he makes hiv, he protects, protects what? He safeguards, safeguards what? Ah, safeguards what? The boundaries of Allah. The one that had khashya, fear of Allah, in the unseen, and he came, and he came with a 
repentant heart. Now, after all of these hymns that you did while you lived in Bolton, while you lived in this life, after you died, it is said to you, Enter into paradise be salam. That is the day of eternity. In it, you're going to have everything that you want. And with us is an increase. With us is an increased reward. With us is the reward of seeing the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you get that? Who is that for? For every awabin hafil, for every penitent hafil, for every penitent man and woman that makes him protects and safeguards the boundaries of Allah. This is as far as the reward for your deen or the protection of Allah concerning your deen is concerned. But likewise, protection for you, my brother and my sister, as far as your dunya is concerned as well. Allah will also protect you as far as your dunyawi matters are concerned if you just be a good Muslim if you just protect the boundaries of Allah don't transgress those boundaries and when you do transgress like we all do then what do you do? sincere tawbah, sincere repentance do good deeds Allah will protect you in your dunyawi affairs by being a good Muslim by protecting the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will protect you. You won't even realize. But Allah will protect you in your wealth. Allah will protect you in your aqal, in your mind, in the health of your mind. Allah will protect you physically in your body. Allah will protect you from your enemies. Allah will give you such aid, such support you can't even think of beyond what you can imagine. It's happening around you and you don't even realize. Why? Because you're protecting the boundaries of Allah. So Allah is protecting you, protecting even your mind. That's why they say about the people of knowledge, the people of knowledge, those who protected the boundaries of Allah by studying, seeking knowledge, studying and seeking knowledge. As a result of that, Allah protected their aql when they became old. The ulama, the scholars, when they were young, they used this aql of theirs to safeguard and protect them safeguard the boundaries of Allah. The ulama, when they were young, they used the aql of theirs, they used the, their, 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 their aql, their mind, to protect the boundaries of Allah by utilizing the mind in seeking and seeking knowledge and studying. So then, al-jaza'u min jins al-amal, what goes around comes around. You get what you deserve at the end of the day. So you used your mind, you utilized your mind. As a young man, in the pursuit of knowledge and study. Now, as a result of the principle of what going round comes around, as a result of that principle, now that you become an old man, Allah is still protecting that mind of yours. Allah is still protecting that aql of yours. And thus you find, generally speaking, ulama, they reach old age, 80, 90 even, even sometimes 100, and his aql is salim. His mind is sound, salim, salim, sound. It's not, he's not entered into that senile state that most people enter into. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, for example, you go to Medina, he's teaching these books of hadith, 
and the chain of narration is being read to him, the narrator might make him, uh, the reader, the sheikh that is reading to him, might make a mistake. Sheikh Abdul Muslim Abad said, La 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 la, you made a mistake here. It's so and so. The narrator is so and so. Or he might make a khat, he might make a mistake in the narration itself. Sheikh Abdul Muslim Abad will say, No, sawab kada. The correct wording of the hadith is such and such. There's no book in front of Sheikh Abdul Muslim Abad. In fact, he has to wear glasses that are so thick lensed that sometimes يعني, if he doesn't have those glasses on he has to touch he has to put his hand out like this to see where the microphone is I mean this I'm speaking from 10 years ago I don't know يعني, the state of the sheikh uh, presence from what I'm aware he's still teaching but the point being is that look at the sheikh entering into يعني, close to his 90s in a wheelchair but look how Allah has preserved his mind giving shash to hadith from his mind the narrators of hadith are mentioned and he'll stop at a narrator and he'll mention the bi a brief biography of that narrator. He might stop at this particular narrator and maybe in the next hadith at another narrator, so on and so forth. How? Because the person protected the aql or he protected the boundaries of Allah using his aql when he was a young man. Likewise, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, when he was passing away, it is said that when he was passing away, in, when he was on, يعني, in his last hours or so, or last day or so. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, he's talking. He, he, he goes unconscious and then he wakes up from his state of unconsciousness. When he regains consciousness, he's saying things which uh, uh, it's clear that even he doesn't know what he's saying. But what type of things was Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen saying in his last hours before he left this world? Does anybody know? They mention, his family mentions that he, it's, it's like he's giving a muhadara. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, he's, he's going unconscious because he's dying. He's in his last hours, his last day of dying. So he goes unconscious. As soon as he regains consciousness, he comes back into consciousness, into a state of consciousness. He starts saying kalam, which nobody can relate, nobody يعني, can relate to. And it's not related to the conversation that people are trying to have with him. He's just giving a muhadara. He's giving a lecture. Likewise, Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr, rahimahullah ta'ala. He mentions about Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz. Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz, in his last hours, he gave so many fatawa about uh, uh, marriage and talaq and what have you. In his last hours. So point being, If you protect, all the, protect the boundaries of Allah, Allah will protect you. I remember another time I went to see Sheikh Muhammad al-Banna, rahimahullah ta'ala. Sheikh Muhammad al-Banna, I went to see him, and he looks like a normal, healthy, sound-minded individual sitting there in the haram in Mecca, in his wheelchair, with a big mushaf, big copy of the Quran, reading from it. Uh, I, I, so I go up to the Sheikh, give him salam, and uh, the Sheikh says to me, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, he says, I'm, I'm 100 years old. I'm a hundred years old and he, when you look at him and you speak to him and the whole stereotype of a typical hundred years old person he doesn't fit it at all you know fully physically he was incapacitated he was on his wheelchair but sound mind is sound he's saying he's saying uh, yeah, and you should read Bukhari read Sahih Muslim take a mushaf of the Quran life is short and what have you read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gain reward and 
giving his advice. But the point being, Sheikh, he's saying he's 100 years old, 100 years old. And if you look at him and the way that he's speaking, it's like he's a maybe 70 year old person. So the point being, brothers and sisters, is that be mindful of Allah, meaning safeguard and protect the boundaries of Allah by being a good Muslim. And then you'll find that Allah will protect you in your deen and he'll protect you in your dunya. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he protects us all and our families and our loved ones in our deen and our dunya. We'll conclude at that point. Next week there shall be no lesson because there is a Birmingham conference. So therefore our lesson shall uh, continue after next week. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين